Well, welcome to church. Let me add my welcome to Paul's. My name is Pete, uh, pastor here at Destiny. And we're here to celebrate the best news ever that Jesus Christ is alive, risen from the dead. Let's, uh, you can give her another round of applause. It's the best news ever. Let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you that you're in this place. Thank you, you know and love every person here. Thank you, God, you have a plan for our lives. And I ask you in Jesus' name, as we turn to the Bible, as we consider the greatness and the significance of Easter, I pray that you'd actually speak to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I'm going to talk to you about Easter, but I'm going to talk specifically about how Easter unlocks heaven for you. Heaven is a big theme. We're all going to die. Where do we go when we die? There was one guy, he died and arrived at the pearly gates of heaven. And there he met St. Peter. And Peter said to him, oh, I see your name is on the book of life. But in order to get in, you've got to spell one word for me. And uh, he said, well, what's the word? And he said, the word is love. So he said, okay, that's easy. Uh, L-O-V-E. And St. Peter said, great, you've done it. Welcome to heaven. I said, but listen, before you come in, I need to go and talk to the Lord for a few moments. Do you mind manning the gates for me? And uh, if anyone comes and tries to get in, you've got to ask them to spell a word and then they can get in. And the guy said, oh yeah, no problem, I'll do that. So St. Peter disappears to have a chat with the Lord. Anyway, a few minutes later, the guy's wife appears. And he's like, why are you here? And, And she said, okay, honey, so... At your funeral, on the way home from your funeral, we had a car crash, and that's why I'm here. And the husband's like, all right, okay. I said, okay, well, if you get in, you've got to spell a word to get in. And she said, okay, that's fine. What's the word? And he said, spell Czechoslovakia. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting on. None of the guys in that you'd all made it really easy for your wives. I know you would have. So what's heaven like? And how'd you get there? That's the two big questions. What is heaven like and how'd you get there? Okay, to help answer the question, what is heaven like, the kids from our church are going to play this little film clip which will give you their answer to that question. Cue the clip. Who lives in heaven? God. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus. God. Do you think you can eat ice cream in heaven? Yeah. Do you think there are dinosaurs in heaven? No, probably. I think it's possible because so as probably. It would look like the best place you could ever go to and you wouldn't believe it at all. Colors, beautiful colors, you know, gold. God has got prison and prisons everywhere and gardens, trees, roofs, with the Holy Spirit surrounding you every single day. Do you think there are dinosaurs in heaven? Unicorns? Rainbows! I imagine that it's golden and it has lots of angels in it. Shiny and golden and bright. 
Do you think you would have fun in heaven? A lot, actually. I think you would have more fun than you would have on earth. I think it would be a wonderful, exciting, amazing place that you that it's the place you would want to stay in forever and never leave. Happy Easter. I love that. It's going to be the best place ever. In the middle of the Easter story, there's one incredibly unlikely candidate goes to heaven. Let me take you to the verses. This is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 33. They came to the place called the Skull, and there they crucified him there, along with the criminals. One on his right, and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you were under the same sentence? But we're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. The most unlikely candidate gets into heaven. Eternity is an incredibly long time. This rope is just like your life your life was a beginning. But as you can see, it just has no end. It just goes on that rope, actually, as far as I can see, it goes right out the door, onto Gorgie Roads, <laughs> right around the castle, and around the world, and off into space. It just keeps going. Your, your life has a beginning, but it has no end. It has no end. It just keeps going on and on and on. But just like this thief on the cross... The kind of decisions you make on earth, even if it's in the last moments on earth, those decisions in this little spot here, this, this little bit at the end here, that's your life. That's your life on earth, that there. And that's your life in eternity. But the decisions you make in that little spot there, specifically how you engage with God, decides how you spend eternity. You live with God you're going to die with God and live forever with God. You live without God. That's your choice. But you will also die without God and be with ever, forever without God. This little bit counts for everything. Right now counts forever. So we see this thief on the cross. We see him turning to Jesus in the dying moments of his life. And he is saved. Now, what's heaven like and how did you get there? They're the two questions I want to answer. First of all, what is heaven like? Now, there's two ways we can answer that question. We can answer it from people who have been there. And there's actually a lot of people, thousands of people actually, who have had near-death experiences. People who have, you know, they've maybe had a cardiac arrest, they've been rushed into hospital, they've died on the operating table, and they've 
seen things. They've had experiences of heaven. And then the doctors medically managed to revive them and then they wake up with memories of what they saw in heaven. And actually, that's not as uncommon as you think. I actually had a near-death experience a couple of weeks ago when I took my Becky, daughter Becky driving for the first time. For first driving lesson, I'm telling you. Boy, oh boy. Lord, help me. Near-death experience. But near-death experience is actually very common. In America, Gallup did a poll in 1992, and they discovered that 5% of the American population had near-death experiences. In Europe, it's about 4% of people have had near-death experiences. So it actually isn't that uncommon. But we also have information about what heaven's like from the Bible. There's two books that are very interesting if you want to read more about this. One is uh, called Heaven is for Real, and it's just been made into a movie. Uh, and it's, it's an incredible book written by Todd Burpo. And Todd Burpo writes about his son, Colton, who died when he was having an operation. And then having died during that operation, his little son had a vision of heaven, and then the doctors managed to revive him. But he was able to relate stories of what heaven was like. And this kid was just literally just a toddler, but the stories he told, actually, he'd never read the Bible. He'd never read the book of Revelation, but what he was describing was already described in the book of Revelation, in the Bible, clear descriptions of heaven, and he saw it. There's another book by John Burke, Imagine Heaven, and he interviews and, and, and researches and studies 1,000 people who've had near-death experiences, and he compares their experiences with what the Bible says. And what you find is uncanny, that their descriptions match exactly what the Bible has said all along about what heaven is like and what the nature of heaven is like. So let me take you through some of the commonalities. What's heaven like? Well, first of all, they describe entering a place that's not unlike earth, a place where you will eat. And the Bible talks about this. You'll eat and drink and learn and worship and work and travel. Heaven also, they describe recognizing people. In near-death experiences, people often describe almost like a welcoming committee of people they've known and loved going before them, welcoming them into the eternal realm. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, a great multitude that no one can count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne. Heaven is going to be a place where people will be recognizable with distinctive ethnic traits and civilizations and cultures. I love that. There's going to be different languages. There's going to be French and Aramaic and Hebrew and uh, German and, and English and Glaswegian. All the languages are going to be there. Some of them are more understandable than others. People who've had near-death experiences often describe an incredible light emanating from God himself, but also emanating from people. People are emanating light. And it's a light that you could feel as well as see. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 23, that the glory of God gives heaven light. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 12, the multitude who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. They will emanate light. People who've had near-death experiences often describe seeing a man of light, Jesus. I mean, let me read this incredible account I came across just last week. Wycliffe Bible Translators. 
who are some of the most reputable Bible translating. It's, a, it's, it's the largest Bible translating organization in the world and very reputable. And they published this article a couple of weeks ago and the, te- the headline of the article was this, West African Damascus Roads, God brings 2,500 people to faith. Listen to this. A group of 2,500 terrorists, militants, were traveling through the bush to a neighboring state to launch an attack when they were blocked by the vision of a man in brilliant white whose feet were on the ground but whose head was in the sky. The five leaders of the group and many of the larger groups saw this vision and they wisely retreated. They wondered if they had been stumbled upon some sort of holy trail and they decided to try a different route next, the next day. Again, they were confronted with the same vision of a man in white and this appeared five separate times. The men had little choice but to return to their camp. On arriving, each of the five leaders withdrew from the group and taking their prayer rugs to pray and reflect alone. While the key leader was alone in prayer, a man in white approached him, greeted him and sat down with him. The man in white talked with him about what had recently happened and about what was going on in the leader's heads and he even shared with him from the scriptures. Listening to him, the leader was baffled and finally said, who are you and how do you know these things? The man in white held out his hands and showed him the holes in his palms and he proclaimed, I am Jesus, I've come that you might have salvation and bring others to salvation. The militant leader fell to his knees and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then the man in white walked away and disappeared into the bush. The newly converted leader got up and ran to tell the other leaders what had happened and discovered to his surprise that all five of them had met the same man at the same time. They reached out to a local Christian called Sani, who was a Wycliffe Bible translator. He was invited to speak to their group, and early the next morning, Sani entered the camp of 2,500 militants assembled and waiting to hear him speak. After preaching, Sani invited the men to accept Jesus, and amazingly, all 2,500 of them accepted Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. I'm going to post Wycliffe Bible Translators, just so you know, they're not crazy, all right? They're very grounded, very intelligent people. I'm going to post you the link to that article this afternoon on my Twitter feed. So if you're interested, it's also going to be on Facebook. Go and, go and read up more yourself. A man of light. And actually, that's in the Bible as well. The Apostle Paul, who used to actually be a persecutor of the church, he was on his way to a place called Damascus to kill and imprison Christians when Jesus appeared to him in a bright shining form. He fell to the grounds and he gave his life to Jesus, the risen one. And he became the one who was the greatest persecutor of the Christian faith, became the greatest propagator of the Christian faith and went on to write a huge chunk of the New Testament. Incredible. People having near-death experiences describe not wanting to come back. I remember back in 1996 when my mum died, in the week before her death, God gave me a Bible verse for my mum. And it's one King, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 23, very short verse. And it says, it will be well. And it was a lady in the, in the, in the account in 2 Kings who was going through the most horrendous time and out of her mouth came this confession twice. It will be well. And I just knew that was God's word for my mum. And so in the last week of mum's life, I shared this with her. Mum, I believe God says it will be well. And it didn't look well, folks. And mum died on the Sunday night. On the Wednesday, 
was mum's funeral. And on the Thursday morning, I got a phone call from my friend, Tim. Tim currently leads Destiny Church in Newcastle. I chatted to him last week about this dream. And he said, Peter, I've only remembered six dreams in my life. But I remember this one. He said, on the, the night of your mum's funeral, I had a dream. It was in the middle of the night, I woke bolt upright. And in the dream, I saw your mum, Peter, because he knew my family. I saw your mum. And she was in the full bloom of health. And she taught, all she said was this, tell Peter that all is well. Wow. Now that was between me, Jesus, and my mum. I didn't tell anyone about that. So if you don't believe in the existence of God, I've just given you an evidence for the existence of God. God is real and heaven is real. And people who go there don't want to come back. It's really well. It actually, honestly, it is honestly so good. I actually can't wait. But it motivates me to live a certain type of life in the meantime. Because this counts forever. The Bible says in Romans, sorry, Revelation 21, verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And who wouldn't want to stay there forever? No more funerals, no more depression, no more temptation, no more sickness. Many people have seen heaven like an eternal worship service. Now I'm a pastor, and I wouldn't like that. See it rather like a party, like the greatest feast you've ever been to. Heaven is not going to be less than this life, folks. It's going to be more, so much more than this life. They describe heaven as being a place where they meet God, who is the greatest being and who is emanating the greatest unconditional love. And John, 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is love. That's heaven from the Bible and from people's experiences. And I've summed up thousands of people's near-death experiences. But I have to say, folks, heaven isn't guaranteed for everyone. Because there are also a large percentage of people who've had near-death experiences, and it wasn't heaven they saw. It was hell. How do you get to heaven? Well, the good news is you don't have to spell Czechoslovakia. Let me take you back to the beginning of the thief's last day on earth. I awoke to hear the jailer turn the key and push the door. Get out here, he shouted, but I stayed there on the floor, frozen in the terror that rose and filled my brain, for I knew what they intended, and I couldn't face the pain. Then the soldiers came into my cell and they dragged me to the yards. They threw me down before a cross and they brought the whip down hard. Carry it, they shouted as I struggled to my feet. I put my shoulder under it and I dragged it to the street. I stumbled through a wall of screams as they drove me through the gates. It seemed like thousands lined the streets, their voices filled with hate, like a wolf pack in the night that moves in for the kill. They closed the gap and followed us as we started up the hill. And it seemed I'd barely reached the top when they grabbed me from behind and they threw the cross down under me and tied the ropes that binds, the arms close to the beams, they nailed my hands and free, they raised the cross up in the air and dropped it in its stand. 
through a blur of pain. I saw the cross there next to mine and there were people all around it. So I looked to read the sign. It was nailed there up above his head so that the world could see the news that the man who seemed so helpless here was the king of all the Jews. Well, the crowd around the, uh, his cross made jokes about his name. They shouted, laughed and spat on him. So I joined in the game. I said, hey, if you're the king, why don't you get us down from here? The taunt just sounded hollow and it echoed in my ear because he looked at me with eyes that seemed to gaze into my heart. They shone a light on all my lies and tore my life apart. There was simply more that lay behind that gaze than simply blood and clay. But knowing was too much for me, so I had to look away. I chanced another look at him while he was looking down. Where the soldiers who had just crucified him drank there on the grounds. And though, although he spoke them quietly, somehow his words came through. He said, Father, please forgive them for they do not know what they do. And as if he heard, they heard them speaking, the crowd began to roar and whipped a frenzy by the priests who urged them on to more. But the worse the accusations, the plainer I could see, the guilt of the accusers, not the one there next to me. The man upon the other cross began to curse and swear and his voice was filled with venom as he hurled it through the air. All the horror that was in him and laid his life to waste came out in every syllable he flung in Jesus' face. But Jesus only looked at him. Then something rose inside of me. It could not be denied because his righteousness and innocence were shining bright and strong and I couldn't keep my silence as the cursing still went on. I cried out, don't you fear the wrath of God? Even at the ends, you will curse us both into the pit. Is that what you intend? We're only getting what we've done. We've sinned our whole life long, but don't to speak to him that way because he's done nothing wrong. And then with all my courage, in a voice not quite my own, I asked him, Lord, remember me when you come into your throne. And he answered me. And even then, his love was undisguised. He said, before the sun has set today, you will be with me in paradise. And when the shouts and curses didn't stop, even when the sunlight ceased, but somehow in the midst of it, my soul had been released. And though the agony continued, it was still too small a price to be allowed to hear those words and to die beside the Christ. Why did he ask for help? He was dying beside Jesus and the thief was looking at Jesus. Why did he ask Jesus for help? And do you know what I think? I think he saw something in Jesus. He saw the sign above Jesus' head. It said, the king of all the Jews. But do you know what? I think even though he knew it was a mockery, I think he knew he is the king. You see, the problems on planet Earth started at the very beginning when we rejected him as our king. That's when everything went upside down and skew if on earth. But the solution comes on planet earth when people again acknowledge Jesus as king. And you think about it, what a king. As the thief was dying there on the cross thinking, he is the king. He would also realize, well, what kind of king would be willing to die on a cross? What kind of king would be willing to humble himself and sacrifice himself so that human beings could be forgiven? I mean, seriously, what kind of king is that? And why on earth would you not want to be under a king like that? You'd be a fool not to want to be under that kind of king. So he's the king. So how did you get to heaven? Well, you do what the thief did. You acknowledge Jesus as the king. If you want to live 
under his kingship, then heaven's all about the kingdom of God's. Heaven's all about the reign of God. And only those who have said yes to King Jesus get to live in King Jesus' reign and realm for all eternity. The second thing I think he noticed is, why did he ask him for help? I think he looked at Jesus. And I think in that moment, he remembered what he, they, he prayed for the crowd. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That's mind-blowing. Jesus was praying for the forgiveness of the murderers who were right at the foot of the cross, who weren't repenting for what they'd done, but they just killed him. And he was praying for the forgiveness. And I think the thief realized, if he's willing to forgive murderers, then there's hope for me. This thief who's dying on this cross, there's hope for someone like me, guilty of sin. This Jesus who can forgive murderers can forgive me. And I think he reached out. And listen, this doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know you're a sinner. If you think, oh, I'm okay. If you think you're good enough for heaven, then the Easter message literally will mean nothing to you. But if, like me, you realize I'm a broken, sinful person, then you're going to see a lifeline being thrown that Jesus died on the cross so you could be forgiven. The worst day of that man's life became the best day of that man's life. His last day on earth actually was the first day he ever had in eternity. And when you go there, you will meet him. He's very much alive in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, having died on the cross, Jesus Christ on the third day resurrected. I've actually only ever been in one tomb in my life. A couple of years ago, me and my dad had the privilege of going to Israel. And uh, this is this picture of my dad. This is us in, uh, in, in what's called the garden tomb. And this is, the, this is where they believe Jesus was laid. They believe he was laid there. And as you see, there's no body. I've only ever been in one tomb and it was unoccupied. And I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. And he's so alive. He's very, very much alive. He said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, do not be afraid. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. You can get into heaven. You can have a new and eternal life. Starting now, not just when you die, but now. You can, you can engage today with the man of light. You can meet the man of light. And he can become your God, your king, and the one who forgives you all your sins. Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, your life is eternal. But if it, during this short part of your life, you engage, you connect, whether you have a vision of Jesus or whether you just like me. I've never had a vision of Jesus, but I know him, I love him, and he's changed my life. And you believe in him. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will live even though you die. You're gonna die, but you can live. I mean, literally live. Come so alive today by believing in Jesus. And then that life actually will just go on for all eternity. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. You are the Lord. You are the King. And what a King. King Jesus, you are willing to die on a cross on behalf of people like us. And that just blows us away to think you, the ultimate king, would pay the ultimate price because of your love for people. Jesus, thank you for conquering death. Thank you for coming to life. Thank you for paying the price for our sin. Thank you for being alive right now. Jesus, thank you you're in this auditorium and we celebrate you today as the risen one, the living one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.